Age 12. How are we doing? You guys good? Look, hey, I just want to say real quick, if it is your first time here with us at age 12, I want to give a special welcome to you. Uh, we want to get to know you. We're actually going to have popsicles and ice cream sandwiches after this service. So if this is your first time here, come find me. We'll hang out. We'll eat ice cream sandwiches because they're the best thing in the entire world. And that's awesome. So, hey, we're going to go quick tonight. Tonight, I'll just say it, is uh, it's different. There's, there aren't any rules tonight. Um, yeah, some of you, the rebels, like, woo, uh, no rules. No, but seriously, uh, tonight things are going to be a little bit different, and I just wanted to ask your permission. Is that okay with you guys? Is it okay? Is it okay if we do things that we don't usually do here tonight? Okay, good. I appreciate that. I've got permission, so now I'm up here, and I can do whatever I want. So tonight we are going to talk about God's kingdom. God's kingdom. So what do you think of when I say God's kingdom? I, I can even say the kingdom of heaven. What do you think about when, you, when I say the kingdom of heaven? Well, when I think about that, sometimes I'm like, man, that is distant. That is far off. And the reason that I think that way is because this world that we live in is so broken. The world is so, so broken. We have so many problems. You can just look at the news and it's, it's terrible. And when I think of the kingdom of heaven, I'm like, man, that can't be anywhere close to this. Tonight, we're going to talk about a lot of characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to go through and we're going we're gonna to explore that. And we're going to pull it out a little bit more. Um, we talked about the kingdom of heaven at NTS camp last week, and it was awesome. But, and there's a lot of intricacy to it, and we're going to kind of dive into some of that tonight. The first blank if you're taking notes, I want to. This is the main thing that I want to say tonight about the kingdom of heaven. You are a carrier of the kingdom. You are a carrier of the kingdom. I think in your notes, you actually write, I am a carrier of the kingdom. In Matthew 10, verse 7, Jesus is sending out the disciples and he tells them, As you go, proclaim this message the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus is saying here that the disciples, wherever they go, they are taking the kingdom of heaven with them. And as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are taking the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. We are carriers of the kingdom. Now, I realize that everybody here is in a different spiritual place. Some of you might be all sold out to Jesus. You are just following after Jesus as hard as you can. Others don't know anything about Jesus. You don't want to know about Jesus. You have shrugged off Jesus. That's okay. That's okay right now. It's okay that we're all in different places spiritually. Because tonight, I think that no matter where you fall on that scale, no matter where you are spiritually right now, tonight has something for you. I think that God has something for you in this tonight. Now, Jesus, Jesus often taught about the kingdom using parables or stories that illustrate a characteristic or, or a thought about the kingdom. And we're going to jump into a few different parables to help us understand a few different aspects of the kingdom. The first is called the parable of the sower. And it starts in Matthew 13.1. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, Matthew 13.1 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So Jesus paints a picture of this farmer throwing out seeds. And a seed can land in one of four places. It can either land on the path, which is solid, hard ground. The seed never gets in the ground. It never takes any root. The soil can also land on the rocky soil. And that is to say that the soil falls in a place where there's a little bit of dirt, but right under the dirt, there are these rocks that keep it from growing downward, from getting a deep root. And when it comes up, the sun scorches it, withers it away. The seed can fall in a thorny place. It can fall in soil that has weeds in it. And so when, when that plant grows, the thorns wrap around the plant and they choke it out. The fourth place, the seed can fall into fertile soil. And in that fertile soil, the seed will grow and it will produce a harvest. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 18. He, uh, he explains what he means by this parable. Uh, Matthew 13, 18 says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was, grown, what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So everyone in this room is one of four soils. You're either the path, the rocky soil, the thorns, or your good fertile soil. Here's the good part about that. You have a say in what soil you are. You get a say in whether or not you're the path the rocks, the thorns, or the good soil. At NTS camp this past week, we, we talked about this one night, and, and our prayer at the beginning of the week was to make us fertile. God, would you make us fertile? I want to introduce uh, one of the students who went to camp with us. Her name is Molly Burgess. You guys, you guys give it up for Molly. Molly experienced God do some amazing things in her life this past week, and I wanted to bring her up and, and have her tell us a little bit of how she saw God work in her. So Molly, if you could just join me. And uh, I just want to know a little bit of what God was doing at NTS last week. So you got it. Um, so the past two NTS camps, I came into the week and I was just very closed off to God and I felt really afraid to come into the week and just encounter him and I was just, like I said, I was just really afraid, and uh, this week, I mean, last week, uh, I came into the week, and I felt like I was just finally ready to experience him and to love him more than I have before, and just really come out of the week changed, 
And I also wanted him to show me things in my life that I've been hiding from myself. Um, so the biggest thing that happened was he was just challenging me to follow him and like whenever I had a God prompt, just follow it and see what happens. So about, I think Wednesday night, we talked about how um, we're holding on to things and we're making them more valuable than God. And for you, all of you who know me, I am like kind of obsessed with makeup. <laughs> um, and I left it at home last week and I didn't mean to. And I made it a big deal when it wasn't. And so God was just like, you know, let it go. I left it at home for a reason. So uh, I followed it in the last three days of camp. I didn't wear any makeup and it was very hard for me, but um, I got through it and it made me see, like it gave me a new meaning of me being fearfully and wonderfully made. And I really liked that. Um, and then on Friday, uh, I, was prompted to share one of the bit, my biggest temptations uh, to in the entire H12 Central campus. And that was really hard for me. I shared with everybody that like for three years I've struggled with lust and it was really difficult for me because I was, I've just been so afraid of judgment and ridicule from everybody. And me sharing gave a bunch of people the strength to come up and tell me that they've struggled with the same thing. And it made me see that lust is a human sin. It's not exclusively for men. And that just like insecurity isn't exclusive to women. So yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that happened this week. That's <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I noticed right at the beginning, um, you, you said that the past, you've gone to two NTS camps before this one. And and you were closed off, what changed, what changed for you this time? Um, so the past two, like the past two NTS camps, I was still struggling with the temptation. And so I hadn't told really anybody the past, like coming into the past two NTS camps. The first NTS I told some about one person and the second one I told my entire small group. And I just didn't feel like good soil. I didn't feel like I was ready to encounter God and I was just so afraid and the past two like not two months um past month um God just really took my temptations away and he prepared me um for NTS camp and I didn't even realize he was preparing me for it and so this week like last week I just came in and I was actually like ready and I felt cleaner than I had before that's awesome y'all give it up for Molly So, but isn't, isn't that incredible? She, Molly experienced God in a, in a mighty way last week. And, and she had gone to the same camp two times before, but the difference maker was she came in open. She came in having shrugged off temptation and she came in as good soil. That's what I want you guys to see that. And almost instantly when she came in that way, God sows a seed in her that is instantaneously fruitful. And, and it is going to continue to grow in her. I know it. And that all got its start from Molly's heart being fertile soil. And maybe, I don't know, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you tonight? Are you ready for God to plant something incredible in you? Or is something in the way? Maybe you're the hard path. Maybe you're closed off from God and you're not interested in anything that anybody here has to say to you. That could be true. 
But tonight, I would ask you, maybe just for tonight, you soften your heart. Just for tonight, you give all of this a chance. Just for tonight, you, you open up and listen to what Jesus has to say. Or maybe, maybe you're the rocky soil. Maybe there are some rocks, there are some things in your life that are hindering you from God doing big things in you. And you've just got to identify those rocks and pull them out. My prayer for you tonight is that you would be able to see the rocks that are blocking the root of what God wants to plant in you. Maybe you're, maybe you're the soil with the thorns in it. Maybe, maybe God wants to identify some things that are choking him out of your life. My prayer for you tonight, if, you're, if you've got thorny soil in you, that, is that you would, you would identify those thorns and that you would rip them out. You can do that. And maybe tonight you are fertile soil. Maybe you have come here completely open to what God has for you. My prayer for you is that you would remain open, that you would not let any distraction come into your heart tonight. And that you would start to focus on helping others remove thorns or rocks from their own soil. And I just want to pray for us real quick. Uh, Father, we're all in different places, God. And and our hearts are all in different conditions, Father. I pray that 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 would not matter tonight, Father. that, That you would break through whatever is in your way tonight, God that we would open up, that we would, we would look to you to see what you have for us, for what you want to do in us. God, please plant a seed in us that changes everything, that is fruitful, Father. God, we, I pray that we would be able to identify anything that's in your way and that we would have the strength to remove it. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. So that's, that's the parable of the sower. Um, just like Jesus said in Matthew 10, the kingdom of heaven is near. And, and I truly believe that. So I want you to try to open up your heart tonight as we continue picking out a few characteristics of God's kingdom so that we can carry it into every part of our life. And now we're going to jump to another parable. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It starts in verse uh, 21. Matthew 18, 21. Wait, is that right? Yeah, it is. Okay. Matthew 18 through 21, that's, that's not true. Oh, yeah, okay, here it is. I was looking at 19. Okay, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. He said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So let me illustrate this this for you. The servant owes this king tons of gold. Let's call it two and a half million dollars. The servant, right. Mm. The servant owes this king two and a half million dollars. And there's no way that he could ever pay it back. And he knows that. And the king knows that. And the king is going to throw him into prison for that. The servant begs and begs. And he says, so I'm so sorry. Just let me try. I'll, I'll pay it back. Of course he can't pay it back. It's two and a half million dollars and he's a servant. So the king just cancels his debt. He's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. So the servant is free. He's free from that two and a half million dollar debt. And then he goes out and he sees another servant that owes him a hundred silver coins, they call it. I would equate it to about five dollars. It's pocket change. This guy sees this other guy owes him $5, and he says, give me my $5, and he literally puts him in a chokehold. He puts him in the choke, and he's got him in the choke, and he's like, I'm going to choke you out if you don't give me my $5, and this other servant is like, please just be patient with me. I can pay it back. Just give me some more time, and the guy says, no. I'm not going to give you any more time. He has him thrown into prison, and I'm just like, what? Think about it. Think about it. You owe somebody two and a half million dollars. That's the worst, isn't it? You don't even like to think about it. So you owe me two and a half million dollars. Can I owe you five dollars? No, 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 two and a half million dollars. And then I'm like, never mind, you're good. That's huge, right? It's a huge burden lifted off. But this guy can't forgive a five dollar debt. See, he was forgiven two and a half million, but he can't forgive a five dollar debt. And so what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? What is Jesus talking about here? He's saying that forgiveness is foundational to the kingdom. It's how God chose to build his kingdom. Think about it. God sent his son to die for us. Another way of saying that is God canceled the debt that we owe him because we could never pay it. He canceled that debt at no cost to us. And we are the servant that owes the debt. And God decided to freely forgive us. If we are going to be carriers of the kingdom... We have to forgive how God forgave. That's another way we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Look at what Jesus says to Peter. He says, not seven times, but 77. Jesus said, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? Jesus says, not not seven, but 77. Or in some translations, 70 times seven. But the point isn't the number of times we forgive. The point is that we always carry a forgiving spirit, just as Jesus did for us. But let's go back to the servant. Was it really $5 that warranted him to be thrown in jail? Was it really $5 that got him tortured? I think it was deeper than that. The servant's unforgiveness was evidence of what was going on in his heart. And when the king saw the servant's heart, that's when he had him thrown into prison. Another question, do you think that the servant would have just let $5 go had he known what was going to happen to him? Who thinks he would have let it go? Right, everybody raises their hand because, of course, if I'm going to throw you into prison and torture you, or you can just forgive that $5 debt, you forgive the $5 debt, it's pocket change. It doesn't matter. It's not worth your whole life. 
I think if the servant had known that, he would have forgiven the debt if he'd have known what was going to happen to him. But that's the problem. That's, that's the problem with unforgiveness. We don't see that it is creeping into our hearts and hardening our hearts until it is too late, until it has imprisoned us. Unforgiveness, can, it can imprison us just, just like in this story. If we hold on to bitterness, if we can't forgive, then it will slowly end us. And Mark Twain has a quote, and he says, Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. And I would replace anger in that quote with unforgiveness. It can do more harm to you if you have unforgiveness in your heart than any, any kind of anger, any kind of unforgiveness that you can spew onto somebody else. That's your, your next blank. Uh, we're, we're here. I kind of got off the notes, but whatever. Uh, unforgiveness creates your own prison. Unforgiveness creates your own prison. So now I want to call somebody else up, Marcella Beatty. Marcella was also at camp. He also saw God do some amazing things, and he's going to come tell us about those, and it's, it's incredible. So, Marcella, you got it. Tell us what happened. Tell you what. What happened at camp, man? Oh, dang, bro. Um, so basically... I was at, dang, that's a lot of people. Um, Dude, you're good, man. I was at camp, and I don't know, prior to this week, um, prior to this week, I kind of, like, struggled with not being able to forgive people. Like, I was really, like, I was a pro at holding grudges, basically, is what happened. Um, and this week, I don't know, they kind of had, like, a key topic about forgiveness, and there was a lot of people that I have in my life that I had to, like, learn how to forgive and, you know, forget about their past, especially people that I met, like, that I met and then like their past was before me, you know, and I would hold it to him and like nothing mattered before you met me. And basically, uh, I don't know, I kind of just, God kind of just spoke to me one night and it was crazy because the next day we had a sermon where we got to like write down the people who we wanted to forgive on the mirror, on this like tiny mirror we have, I still have it. Um, and basically I, it kind of just taught me like, it's a lot easier to forgive once the situation is right in front of you than to just hold it on, like hold on to it. I mean, I, it kind of just, like, you kind of learn once you start holding grudges that it takes too much out of you. It's pretty much pointless at the end of the day, especially when someone else is, like, way past it. So I kind of just learned to move forward. Plus, God really spoke to me in what this parable because I thought to myself, like, how could I hold my grudges on someone else when God forgives me every day, knowing that I do wrong every day? So... Mm, that's super good. Y'all give it up for Marcella. Appreciate it, man. And so what Marcella is saying is, is forgiveness is freeing, right? It, it's this, this burden that's lifted off of us. It releases us. God is calling us to forgive just like he forgave us. It's the foundation of his kingdom. God is building his kingdom on the fact that he sent his son to die to forgive you for your sins. And so, who might you need to ask forgiveness from? Whose name makes you cringe? Like, if I say their name, it just makes you cringe when it pops into your head. Who do you need to forgive? Who are you just holding on to bitterness for? I would encourage you, only you can answer those questions for yourself. And when you do, I pray that, that you'll give forgiveness where it's needed. Forgiving like God forgave will allow you to truly carry the kingdom of God into the world. So, 
So God forgives. That's a characteristic of his kingdom. The next characteristic of his kingdom that we're going to talk about is probably my favorite. It blows me away whenever I think about it. These two stories are called the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And those are in Luke chapter 15, right at the beginning. And hopefully I'll be able to find it this time. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what do these tell us? These tell us that God has a passion for people. Jesus is illustrating how God cares so much for the people who do not know him. He's like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to find one who is lost. He's like a woman who loses one coin and lights a lamp and sweeps the floor and pulls back the curtains as long as it takes until she finds her lost coin. God has got to find the one who is lost. Hear this. God is tirelessly pursuing us. The moment we begin to stray from him, he makes it his number one priority to pursue us and get us back. Look back at the beginning of this passage for a second. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are mocking Jesus for welcoming sinners. See, the Pharisees were strict religious rule followers, and they had a Pharisaic law that prohibited associating with sinners like these. They wanted to see God obliterate these people or lost sheep, but Jesus refutes all of that. In verse 10, he says, he, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Derek said this a few times at, at NTS, uh, but it's worth repeating. He said, biblically, God never distances himself from us. God never distances himself from us. When we begin to feel distant, when I'm in a season where I'm like, God, I just, I feel like you're so distant. That has nothing to do with God's pursuit of me. It has everything to do with me distancing myself. And I can do that without even realizing that I'm doing it. I can distance myself from God by getting distracted completely subconsciously, but God never distances himself from us. He is always there to meet us as soon as we turn back to him. So we have another student, Jackson Wright. Jackson Wright, where are you? God also did some big things in Jackson's life, and he already has a microphone, so I'm just going to put that right back down. Jackson, tell us about it, man. Tell us about what God was doing. All right, well, this was my third year at NTS, so I knew that amazing things would happen like they always do. Uh, but in the months before and the weeks before, it was a really dry season spiritually for me. Like, 
I didn't really feel the presence of God. Like, I still went through the motions. I went to church. I sang. I tried to connect with people. I tried to connect with him, but it was just like I felt nothing. So when I got on the bus for camp, I just knew that this week would be different, and God wanted to move. Um, specifically on the third night during worship, I just felt his presence again. I just felt him in the room moving, and that was just such a powerful thing because not only was the God of the universe moving in the room I was in, he wanted to get to me. And that reminds me of something someone told me. They said, yeah, God is fighting for us, but God's also fighting for us. Like, God wants to be with you, and that's what some people don't realize. Like, he wants to be with you, and he wants to find you, and he wants to form a relationship with you. And throughout the rest of camp, it's not like his presence just went away after that. He was there the whole time. Like, even if I was just throwing frisbee with friends, playing cards with friends, or just hanging out, you could still feel God in the midst of us. And there's a lot more I could say about camp, but <laughs> that's the main thing. And to sum it up, God moved at camp, and now God wants to move here. Oh, that's awesome. Y'all give it up for Jackson. Appreciate it, bro. So... Jesus, with these, with these two stories, he's showing how God relentlessly pursues us. He has a passion for us. He pursues people who have never had a relationship with him, and he pursues people who begin to stray from a relationship with him. He values us more than we could ever imagine. That's your next blank. We hold unique value to God, and he pursues us. We hold unique value to God, and he pursues us. God values us. The word value brings us to our, our last stories, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Those are all the way back in Matthew 13. Oh, perfect. Second try. All right. <laughs> Freaking killing it today. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is speaking to the value of the kingdom of God. We've got a man who finds a treasure in a field and sells everything he owns so that he can buy the field and he can have that treasure. And then we have a merchant who's, who's out looking for the perfect pearl, and he finally finds it, and what does he do? He sells everything that he owns so that he can buy that pearl. What is Jesus saying? He's telling us that the kingdom of God is a great deal. Let's look a little bit closer at these. Look at the joy in the discovery and the finding of the treasure. When the man saw the treasure, he realized that everything he owned didn't measure up to the value of this treasure. The same happened with the merchant and the pearl. These guys quickly and happily exchanged everything that they had so that they could have the treasure and they could have the pearl. Why? Because the treasure and the pearl were so obviously worth more than everything they had. Last blank. The kingdom of God is worth it. The kingdom of God is is worth it. And last student, Alexis, come on up. Yeah, woo! Alexis, like the first three people, had awesome things happen to her at camp. So tell us about it. Tell us what God did. Oh, dear. 
here. Okay, um, so this week when I was going to camp, uh, the past year and a half or so, like I really kind of struggled with being consumed by the things of this world. I was really thorny soil and I got consumed by my friends, by school, by my anxieties, by my fears, and just all these things that sort of piled up on top of me and really overwhelmed me a lot of the time. And so going into camp, I wanted a lot from it. I had been before, and so I knew that God could do really great things there, but there was a part of me that kind of didn't want to expect it because I was so afraid of kind of being stuck with this indifference that I'd been feeling. And so I went to camp, and I, just being there, I was already just being surrounded by people that loved me and that loved Jesus just was so overwhelming. It just reminded me of his spirit and his strength. And being there, I guess God sort of started to soften my heart, and he started to open my eyes to a burden that has been on me and sort of chains that have been holding me back from him. And so he called me to confess them to the girls in my small group, and I I wrestled with God. I fought against it. I didn't want to because I was like, God, you're crazy. I'm not about to tell the girls in my small group this deepest, darkest corner of my life. And after praying and just kind of talking to God through it, I did. And when I did, I felt this sort of just overwhelming joy and happiness and peace that came on me that I really haven't felt in such a long time. And it just sort of showed me the way that I can trust God fully and I can surrender everything to him and I don't have to be afraid of the future. I don't have to be afraid of what will come of me opening up. And it just, the part that's craziest about me, I'm rambling like crazy right now, but um, the part that's craziest to me is the fact that like, no matter what, no matter what I've done, no matter what sins I'm holding on to, God sees value in me and he will never hold my sins against me. He will never love me any differently because of what I've done or because of things that I've done in my past. And I don't know, it just made me feel really valued and worthy. And just to know that me surrendering fully, fully to God just was really powerful, I guess. That's awesome. Y'all give it up for Alexis. So I'm going to go ahead and, and call the band back up and we'll just kind of, we'll cap tonight off. Um, in these stories, Jesus is showing us what it's like to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing us what it's like to enter the kingdom of heaven. First, you have to discover it. The man found the treasure, the merchant found the pearl. Then you have to assess the value. The man saw that the treasure was worth more than everything that he owned. So did the merchant, and that's what happens to us when we encounter the kingdom of God. It's clearly a great deal. It's a trade that we want to make, and that's what Jesus is telling us in these stories. It's the best trade that you'll ever make. The kingdom of heaven is about trading heaven or trading hell for heaven. It's about trading death for life. It's about trading temporary for eternal, bondage for freedom, shame for joy, rejection for acceptance. It's about trading your fear and emptiness for the love that never disappoints. It's about trading heartache for wholeness. It's about trading fear for faith, trading the counterfeit for the genuine. Listen, the only reason people ultimately don't follow Jesus is because they don't recognize the value of king and kingdom. The only reason that people ultimately don't follow Jesus is because they do not recognize the value of king and kingdom. In terms of deals, trading your whole life 
for a life with Jesus is a no-brainer. Scripture tells us that in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a fresh start. It's freedom. But it's more than just a good deal. It's a relationship. It goes deeper than a transaction. It's a transformation. If you just understood the value of what God has for you, if you understood the value of the kingdom of God and what it's like to step into a relationship with Jesus, it would be a no-brainer. You would give all of it up. Just like Alexis, you would give the things that you feel are holding you back and you would step wholeheartedly into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's something blocking this relationship with Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to move everything out of the way, to allow you to freely step into a relationship with him, to step into the kingdom of heaven. God made a way for you. He freely forgave all of us. And all we have to do is say, God, thank you for doing that. I acknowledge that you pursue me. I acknowledge that you value me. I acknowledge that you are a creator, but you came and you died in order to restore a relationship with me because you value me. You can make that decision. Some of you in this room have never made the decision to trade whatever you have going for a life with Jesus. Some of you have, have been holding on to things. Maybe you've been around church and there's just something that you're holding on to that keeps you from stepping into the kingdom. Tonight, I want to invite you to take that step if you haven't. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, it is a trade that is worth it. It is a trade that if you understand it, it is a no-brainer. It is like stumbling upon a treasure in a field that is worth more than everything you own. It's a no-brainer. You sell everything to buy that field and you step into that treasure. You step into that life that God has for you. That relationship that transforms all of us. So I want everybody to bow your heads. For some of you, you have never made this decision, but maybe tonight is your moment. For some of you, tonight is the night that you say, yes, God, I acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross to forgive me of my sins. And, and I want to step into your kingdom. I want to step into the kingdom of God. If that's you, I would invite you to pray a, a prayer like this with me. It doesn't have to be this exact thing. It's not about the words. It's about your heart. Father, Father, thank you for what your son did on a cross. Father, thank you for pursuing me. I acknowledge that, that I have sinned, God, but, but you have sent your son to die for those sins. God, thank you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to step into your kingdom. I see it now. I see now the value of your kingdom, and, and I'm ready to step into it.